Welcome to season two of Black on Shelf, a podcast championing black and brown entrepreneurs with products on the digital and physical shelves. We engage entrepreneurs and supporters through inspired storytelling, relevant resource sharing, and community engagement. Okay, Black on Shelf community, that's you. You are the mighty boss fam. You're bigger and literally stronger, and I'm definitely excited to grow together. I'm your host, Tanaj Ferguson. This is Black on Shelf. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to the Black on Shelf podcast. This week, we're talking to Calvin Qualis of Scotch Porter, a men's personal care brand. They are award-winning men's grooming and wellness company. Super excited to talk to Calvin. Um, Scotch Porter is available at Walmart and Target. And of course, I'm sure they're expanding every day. We're going to hear about it. We're going to hear about the next frontier. But first, want to welcome you, Calvin. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're going to jump right in and learn about your background. How does someone come to create a men's grooming brand? Talk to us about where you're from, who you are. We want to know more about you. Sure, sure. So my my story is a bit of a of a long story in the sense that um I had no clue that I would ever own a men's personal care business. Yeah, you couldn't have told me that. Um, but as a kid, I grew up in my mom's shop uh, and spent tons of time there with my brother. Uh, and at the time, kind of hated it, right? Because like, what <laughs> kid wants to be at the barber shop every evening and weekend and like sweeping up hair and whatnot, right? But you said um, it was your mom's shop. Did we hear that? Yeah, right? as a kid. Yeah, okay. like a kid in my mom's shop. So my mom had a shop when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and I spent a tremendous amount of time there. And I'd say kind of looking back on it, um, what was most memorable or kind of stuck with me was, you know, this this feeling that my mom uh, and the other barbers conveyed on the other folks in the sense that folks would come in, always a pretty intuitive kid and that I could sense which ones didn't necessarily feel their best. Uh, they'd sit in my mom's chair or one of the other barbers and stylist chair and sort of be transformed, get up, look in the mirror, pop the collar and walk out with an entirely new step, um, which is very different than the way they walked in the shop. Some of them. <laughs> um, and so that really stuck with me. It was this ability that my mom and some of the other barbers and stylists had helping people to feel better about themselves that I think really resonated with me. Went off to college, broke, frustrated like most college students, didn't quite know what I wanted to do with my life. Everyone around me had it all figured out. I didn't even know what I was going to have for like lunch or dinner. I was one of those guys. Uh, right. But, um, you know, and, and so during that period, I'd say that I, in many ways, I kind of dubbed myself as a loser because it just seemed like I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and everybody else around me figured it out mm-hmm. or had figured it out. Uh, but I'd say on like the toughest weeks, I'd take the last $20 I had in my pocket uh, go get a haircut and we'll kind of leave out of the barbershop, you know, feeling like a million bucks. So I've always known kind of growing up in my mom's shop, uh, my own personal experiences, visiting shops, barbershops every other week, grooming self-care uh, has the ability to help one feel better about themselves and kind of oh, yeah. turn a funky mood around, right? Even a mm. week, a terrible week or a month. Um, and so that was, that was my experience. And then uh, did the adult thing, right? Um, went off and got a job because that's what you're supposed to do when you finish college. Right. Um, and worked, uh, worked at, the last place was working at a market research firm in the finance department and really, really, really hated that. Um, I think just sitting behind an office cubicle every day, kind of looking at spreadsheets and numbers, 
wasn't what I wanted to do. And, and I think what, what bothered me the most is that I always kind of knew that I was supposed to be doing something important, didn't know yeah. what that important thing was. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't it. And I didn't want to have regrets when I turned like 40, like jumping on the train with a cup of coffee, going to a job that I absolutely hated and didn't really have impact. Um, and uh, as hate fate would have it, one evening coming home from, from work, bothered this brownstone building for the first time that I probably passed, I don't know, 200 and some odd times, uh, thought that this place would be the perfect barbershop, you know, had an epiphany from my time growing up in my mom's shop, my own personal experiences, visiting shops and barbershops every other week, right. bad day. Um, didn't feel my best and decided to open up a barbershop. Um, about six months later, I opened up Center Stage Cuts uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and almost immediately spotted an issue. Many of our customers uh, had very dry, frizzy, damaged hair and beards. Again, bored with the daytime desk job. Uh, <laughs> went home evenings and weekends and kind of learned everything I could about natural ingredients, kind of became like a kitchen chemist and created products that I'd bring back to the shop, kind of hand off to the customers. Um, would get feedback and tweak the formulas over like, a, I'd say a year, year and a half until I created something that the customers uh, thoroughly enjoyed and then sort of built a dot com out of necessity uh, for the folks that were traveling to our barbershop, barbershop in Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, and built a, a sizable dot com business before launching in retail at the top of the pandemic um, at both Target and Walmart. Um, and just really excited about, you know, really, uh, our mission, which is helping men to feel the best, live their best, most fulfilled lives. And we get the opportunity to do that by reaching more consumers, uh, online and offline. Yeah. So it's a bit of our, I love your story so much. So, so much meat there. So I'm going to try to start taking <laughs> some of the meat from the bones here because you gave us so much great backdrop that I think the boss fam could really resonate with. So one of the first things that stuck out to me as you you heard me in intercept was around your mom's shop. So talk to us about what was the landscape of this shop. So was it unisex barbershop beauty salon or was she a barber? Talk to us more about what that looked like. Yeah, so it was a beauty salon and barbershop and supply. <laughs> so and supply. Was, yeah, yeah, it was all three. So the, the front of the shop, and this was in Long Island. Um, mm-hmm. The front of the shop was like beauty supply and then the back of the shop was barbershop. Uh, beauty parlor. Um, and it was, it was quite interesting because it was, you know, kind of looking back on it, it was like my first glance at like entrepreneurship and, and my mom, right. My mom was running the business, right. And, and it was a pretty successful business. So. Yeah. That's really cool experience. And you got to kind of be a part of that. Yes. Doing the chores part of it all, (laughs) but being around it also created some discipline and just show you what it's like to put in that sweat equity, right? Like there's no more sweat equity. There's nothing like the sweat equity of working in a barbershop where it is that service type business. Um, You have to think about customer service. You have to think about really wowing your consumer with the style. You have to keep your skills sharp. You have to have those um, products, ingredients. You have to keep up with the trends. So in a number of ways, you were being groomed this whole time to do something like CPG, like consumer packaged goods, like you are doing right now. I yeah. was, I, I wasn't, and didn't even notice it. And and you brought up a good point about like trends, right? Because the mm-hmm. barbershop, you can sit in a barbershop um, and you will see tons of trends, right? Before yeah. they become trends, right? Walking through the barbershop. So, so that's an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. 
So another thing about your story that really struck me was, you know, during this time, you were really unhappy, right? You were not where you wanted to be and kind of just going through the days as they came. And you you kind of said you self-dub yourself like a loser. I think the Black on Shell family, there are some people here, or we know someone that probably feels this. You were able to admit that, right? I don't know what the people around you felt like at the time, if they knew you were struggling with that. Talk to me about that period of time where you were feeling in yourself, I'm a loser, quote unquote, right? Air bubbles. Like you didn't feel like you were reaching your potential. You knew there was more, but you weren't yet at that point where you were walking in that. What was going on in your mind? Did people around you know? And talk to me about some of the things that sort of kept you there for that period. Yeah, I, I don't think that um, I don't think that I had the communication skill set to talk to folks about what it is that I was I was feeling. So I don't think anyone knew, right? Um, and I will say that you know I come from from an Im- immigrant family, and not many of them, uh, not many of my family members. There are a few that that actually went to college. So that in and of itself kind of deemed me as a success <laughs> to, to my family. Yeah. Um, but, but being, being in, in a university and, you know, you're matched up against folks that are super smart, just career oriented, know exactly what it is that, or at least think they know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you not knowing what, what you want to do and kind of matching yourself up against some of the other folks that were in school. It, it's tough, right? It's mm-hmm. tough. Um, but, you know, kind of just talking with others, you know, as, as I kind of explain the experience, it's actually not uncommon. And a lot of folks in, in their earlier years don't, don't really know what they want to do. They think they know what they want to do. We can normalize not knowing what you want to do and normalize the process of discovery. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I wasn't alone. I thought that I was alone um, in that moment. Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious, what would you say to the person that feels like how you felt? feels like they should know all, they should know what they want to do. What is that process like? What would you say to them in terms of how to get out of that funk? So we are, we're normal, we're actively going to normalize that that's probably going to happen, particularly when you're younger. But what are some things we could be doing to proactively say, I know, I don't know what I want to do, but how do I discover that? How do I expose myself? Talk to us about some things that you might advise um, the block and shelf community to do to get out of that place of not knowing because it's one thing to, it, to it's normal it's one thing to to have that happen but then it's another thing to say there's something I can do about it what are some of those things yeah I think I think that at a at a there, there came a point in my life um, I was like approaching thirty and I, you know I've always pegged myself as like a guy that has really good ideas that have talked myself down from like starting some of those ideas or initiatives? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I smart enough? You know, am you know, am I the person to be able to really start something and kind of lead it? Mm-hmm. Um, and had all those doubts sort of in my head. But then I, I kind of made a conscious decision that as I'm approaching 30, again, I didn't want to have I, I didn't want to have any regrets as I got older and kind of yeah. stuck in a in a in a job that I hated and kind of watching those around me, how they mm-hmm. kind of get up in the morning, schlep to work, uh, just very unhappy. I realized that I didn't want that and kind of used that as my motivation uh, mm-hmm. to begin this discovery phase of like exploration. And I promised myself, made a pact to myself that the next idea that I had, 
that stuck with me for at least three weeks. <laughs> that I <laughs> right because because caveats. You can have, have a right? caveat. Oh, right? Exactly. <laughs> you could have a ton of ideas. Some will stick. Some won't. Right. Yeah. But if the next idea that kind of stuck with me a little bit longer than sort of the normal idea that would pop up into my head, then mm-hmm. I'd at least uh, attack it. And so the barbershop, right, came up. It was an idea. It wasn't anything that I thought that I would kind of get rich or would like solve all of all of all of my issues because I had a good I had a good job for 20 something year old right um mm-hmm. and so this was more of just like fit, trying to trying to discover and figure out sort of what was next and kind of allowing the universe to kind of lead me um to what it is that I should be doing and you know open this shop and kind of spotted an issue and the universe kind of spoke to me and kind of said you should create products to solve to solve the issues, yeah. right? To solve the issues that the customers yeah. were having. So I think it all came from being open yeah. um, to exploring mm-hmm. uh, and then making a conscious decision that where I was at in my life wasn't where I wanted to be and that I needed to take action. And even if that action didn't kind of, wasn't planned out to lead to what I thought would be the perfect ending, at least I took action. And so that's where, that's what I tell folks um, to do is to kind of start, do something, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, you just never know where things may lead. And, and you, you also have to make a decision that where you are in life isn't quite where you want to end up. And that this, you know, maybe this, maybe what you're doing now or the job that you're in right now, you're not happy. And you kind of just have to start start and start discovering and find interest and, you know, listen to podcasts like this for motivation and inspiration. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. Right. Read, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's, there's just tons of information. Start exploring. Yeah. I love um, even your discovery process, although some of it was a little bit unconscious, right? You're like, you're like, I saw this barbershop that I've probably seen a million times, but somehow the state that this the state that you were in mentally allowed you to see it a little bit differently, right? So Absolutely. I think that's such an important piece. You were struggling during this period of time, don't know what I want to do. You kind of get exposed to something you've seen a million times before, but you see it a little differently this time. And you decide I'm going to take also a different action than I have before. Um, was there any comfort this time around? You know, it is interesting that you grew up in the barbershop. You were able to see the opportunity in this barbershop, in this open front store that you could turn into a barbershop, you could envision other ideas you've had before you sort of, um, like you said, talk yourself off um, the edge of actually paying attention to them. Was there any comfort in this one? Because you sort of knew that space. Was that part of why you felt like you were able to move in on this idea versus some other ones? Yeah. So I have always, um, what kind of motivates me, um, what kind of gets me up every day um, and excited is about newness. Um, and so our barbershop wasn't sort of like the typical barbershop in the sense that it was really like a community hub. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a barbershop, uh, but this barbershop also had like a stage where we had, um, mm-hmm. you know, open mics and live performances from, you know, from r and acts that are out now that, weren't as known back then. Wow. Um, we had art exhibitions. Um, you know, we had uh, dialogues around mental uh, health and, and wellness, and we had uh, competing mayors come in for a debate, right? So this wasn't your typical barbershop, and it was absolutely more of a community hub. 
And I think that is what, uh, that is where I got really comfortable and excited because it felt like something new and it felt like something different. Um, and I think that's, that's what excited me more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all wrapped up in a time again, where I didn't feel my best. And mm-hmm. I feel like the barbershop was this hub where folks can come in, kind of get fresh, kind of look good, walk out and kind of feel better. But then they also had an opportunity to engage in dialogue around things that were important, right? Uh, we also mm-hmm. had like apparel. So it was it was oh. really like this community hub where you kind yeah. of walked in to get a, a haircut. You could have a drink. You could listen to music. You'd see some great art on the walls. And then you'd kind of walk out, feel good and kind of engage in the rest of your day. Yeah. So that was a, like a creative outlet for you because that was something that sort of stimulated your, your imagination and really energized you in ways that your normal job wasn't. And so I'm curious, you, you do that. Do you leave your job at this point? No. So the, so no. So the job was, uh, you know, I was an adult, uh, had a mortgage. <laughs> Life <laughs> I things. Had, I had responsibility, <laughs> right? I was like 27 or 28. So I had real uh, responsibility. So no, I could not afford to leave the job. Yeah. Um, but um, not immediately. Um, but, but again, I, you know, spotted an issue and on top of having, having the barbershop and having the job, I now also created a hobby for me um, where I began to explore products and yes. natural ingredients and utilize those natural ingredients mm-hmm. uh, to solve the, the issues that some of our customers had in terms of dry, frizzy hair and beards. And so now I have a, another hobby sort of off the side where now I'm in the kitchen crafting products and bringing them back to the shop and kind of getting yeah. feedback from the customers and going back to the drawing board. So mm. it was definitely, it, I definitely was able to flex my creative muscles yeah, in more so. than one way, right? On the product so. end, all the things that were happening in the shop. And, and audience, you can try and it audience, on people. Right? Yeah, exactly. like, does it work? Oh, I want this or that. The portfolio, putting that together. So it was the perfect grounds for that experimentation. Um, And I think this is a point we should lean into for sure, right? I think in this day and age, and even then, right, you're going on seven years of business this year, which is phenomenal. I love when I can talk to entrepreneurs at different stages, seven years of Scotch Porter, and I'm sure it's evolved amongst the years. But just when we think about that early stage, when you're experimenting, you're figuring out what it's going to be. You're also in your job because that's helping to pay. You know, that's helping. That's the stable thing. And you're going to see saying, if I can be consistent with this, I'm going to have to chase the opportunity to build this thing that I'm more excited about. But I have to have these proof points to show that this is what I'm going to do. Talk to me about why you did it that way, even while you were so unhappy. And what were some of those benefits? Because I think it's important for the boss fam to know in this day and age where some people are doing all this funding and able to come off. Those are options, but there, there's also this option of steady and pacing and, you know, sticking, being a little bit resilient. Talk to us about that and your perspective on that, your experience and your perspective. Yeah. I mean, although I was very unhappy with the job, what, what I knew was, is that I, again, I had responsibility and I, I, to me, it just, I didn't make sense to just quit the, quit the daytime desktop that kind of allowed me the opportunity to be creative and explore. 
right? Um, it funded, it sort of funded the idea, it funded the barbershop, it funded yeah. the incubation of the pro- of the product business, right? It kind of funded all these things that I enjoyed on the evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult to do all three. Um, yeah. But I, I made a decision, I said, hey, you know, do this, do this for a while. When you reach it, this inflection point, and at the time, the inflection point for me was, you know, doing close to $400,000 in annual revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Once you reach this inflection point, you've kind of proven that you have a viable business. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, then you would, I feel very comfortable kind of quitting the daytime desk job. Sure. And so I kind of modeled out that I'd reach this sort of inflection point and then I would be able to quit the daytime desk job. Um, when that time came, though, I was a little, as a 20 mm-hmm. something year old, even though I was young, I was a little burned out. I was running the shop. I had a nine to five in the city, in New York City, and I was, you know, traveling an hour each way every day. Um, and then I built this product business that was ramping up and I was making the product and responding to customer service emails and shipping the product out. And it just, it was way too much. And I kind of made a decision that I needed to focus. Um, and so I, I had the opportunity to not only quit the daytime desk job, but I also made the decision at that time to, to close up the barbershop and really focus my, my attention on one thing, because if, if it were to succeed, uh, focus, uh, focus was going to be super important. Mm, and even mm, today, mm, even today, yes. focus is yeah. so, so important as entrepreneurs. You know, we want to do 5 million things, right? Um, and we think that we're capable of 5 million things. Um, but it's really, really difficult to grow um, a sustainable business and scalable business if, if we are not focused. So Calvin I decided to focus. All the education we're at, Black on Shelf University right now. I love what everything you're saying, right? Um, the focus. Also, we have a couple of clarification points. So we mentioned that you're an immigrant and your your well, immigrant fa- well, you came from an immigrant family. So yes. your family, as you told us, Guy- Guyana and Barbados, big ups for the Caribbean people, right? Other thing you told us was there was another point that I wanted to confirm. You own the barbershop. You're not the barber. But can you cut yeah. hair? We're curious. Curious Minds wants to know, can you cut hair? I can cut my own hair, but I won't cut anyone else. <laughs> he can cut his own that. hair. He owns the barbershop. <laughs> he did not cut the hair at the barbershop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're loving your story. Focus is such a key word. And it sounds like that is something you were forced into, but now you, you totally see the value. And that is totally something we can advise here. That's a good lesson. Like, at some point you were trying to juggle it all and that's probably normal too, right? You kind of have it all in the air and the performance might show you what you need to focus on or the opportunity might show you, hey, this opportunity now is so great. You ha- you met your threshold that you know you then needed to, if you were going to get to that next milestone, you would need to invest more time, energy. And so something had to change. Um, and it was clear for you what that change needed to be. Clearly the job, now you could move from it the barbershop, you know, you owned it, but you were not running it. The business is really where you were able to pour your true creativity and probably where you saw the most, you know, the most growth opportunity. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I, even as the business began to expand, did I, could I have ever imagined that I'd build an eight figure business? No. Um, I just, I just knew that it, it, 
I felt fulfilled is the best way to explain mm, it. I love that. Um, I, love that. I, I, I did not imagine or think that I would get rich off of this, right? Um, because no one starts a barbershop to get rich, um, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I would say that I felt fulfilled um, is kind of the word that I would use. I felt fulfilled because I felt like, um, I, I felt I've always, I'm a Virgo and I've always been sort of, uh, practical, but I've always felt that I had a creative side and I enjoyed being able to flex my creative side, uh, flex my problem solving skills, um, in a way that I felt, uh, really could have impact on people and make people feel good right at a time where I wasn't feeling good. Um, yeah. and so I think that that's where my motivation was. Calvin, and, you're, uh, you're really in tune with your feelings, right? We go from self-dub loser insecurity, some doubt, some imposter syndrome to, oh my gosh, this experience helped me feel fulfilled and that you're really stepping into this other version of you. Talk to me about kind of the rhythm of these emotions that it, that you are able to pinpoint. You do it so well. You're so articulate at that. You're so in tune with yourself. You've been able to identify these emotional stages for yourself that are normal, but just curious how you've navigated all of these emotional waves for yourself um, and for the business, I, you know, I, I I can't I can't stick a pin on put a pin on it in terms of like why I've you know I've always been just in touch with sort of sort of my emotional side. It's just how I've always been, kind of mm-hmm. how I've grown up. Um, I was raised by a bunch of really mm-hmm. strong uh, black women, Caribbean yes, women, yes. who are very in tune with. Uh, their, you know, their emotions and can, and, and can talk about how they feel. And so that was just a natural thing in, in my household. And I also knew and watched while I was in corporate America, how, you know, some of the um, executives who were well salaried, right? Well paid, right? Uh, my boss, like I, I knew how much she made. She'd like just her, her base salary was like 500,000. And she had like a crazy uh, bonus, right? Yeah. But, but she was miserable, um, very, very miserable. And I've always known that, that that isn't what I wanted, right? I didn't want to be a wealthy, unhappy person. Um, and so um, just kind of being in tune with, with that, I, I never had a desire to really kind of flex up um, in the corporate world. And I always kind of thought that I would eventually be doing something on my own. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that that sort of trajectory that many folks kind of follow after they graduate from college or they go get their MBA, that they kind of follow that same trajectory. I kind of knew that I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of just thinking about that environment, understanding that there weren't many folks um, that looked like me there that came from mm-hmm. places uh, in, in the community where I had come from. I just had no ambition to kind of fight to, you know, get get to the top there. That was their top. That you was want to create, create your own mountain. Yeah, find, you exactly. wanted to find your own mountain that was fit for your path and journey, and you would be at the top of that, which is exactly. clearly, clearly where we're finding you here today. I also exactly. love I also love um how honest you are about these different phases because they're so normal. Even entrepreneurship that is, you know, the heights that you've reached, it's such a great thing to get here. You're still very clear that the kind of some of these emotions come. This is the cost of getting to this part of the process, right? Getting to the success. Sometimes these are 
the emotions and the cost of the burden that you'll experience. You mentioned um, earlier insecurity, doubts, and imposter syndrome, and that was like pre-business. But talk to us about how you encounter them differently. They might, you know, weren't normalizing that sometimes it still happens, maybe probably less, I would guess, right? But uh, talk to us about what's your relationship with imposter syndrome, with doubts, with insecurity now that you're in a little bit of a different phase, a lot different of a phase. (laughs) Um, You're in a lot more control of your day, of of your destiny, and you have all these wins under your belt. What's now your relationship with insecurity, doubt, imposter syndrome? I will say that um, it continues to come up, Mm -hmm. um, but I've built sort of like this, this, uh, I compare it to like uh, when you first begin working out and it gets very, it's very, very difficult in the beginning because you haven't worked out in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you begin lifting weights and you're sore and everything hurts. And it's just like, what? I'm not sure that I can do this. Um, it doesn't necessarily get easier the more you are training. Mm-hmm. It's just that you built this muscle memory, yeah. right? Where, you get stronger. <laughs> yeah, you get stronger. And yeah. it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You, I, I continue to have, um, you know, some moments where I start questioning myself. Um, because as you scale the business and as you grow the business, your responsibilities as a leader gets very different. Um, and in some ways it gets harder, but through the years, I've built this muscle memory where I understand that this too shall pass, um, mm-hmm. and that I will, Hallelujah. Only get stronger, mm-hmm. and I will come out, uh, a much better leader on the other end. And so just kind of going through the scrapes, bumps and bruises along the way and having all those wins that you had mentioned kind of under your belt. Yeah. Um, it, it's my motivation to know that what I'm going through now, I need to grow through it and not avoid it. It's, it's mm. a healthy obstacle. Say that again. Say um, that again. You can't avoid yes. it, right? You have to grow no, through you can't it. Avoid it. Yeah. What are the things you're doing to kind of grow through versus avoid your problems? Are you getting mentoring? Are you surrounding yourself with other people in the same situation? Are you clear on asking for help? What are some, what is, what does that look like to kind of grow through um, some of these challenges versus avoid it? What, what's, what does it look like? Yeah, I will say that absolutely, um, you know, finding folks that have kind of been there, done it, kind of been through the, the trenches, right? Have mm-hmm. like the, the war uh, marks, um, you know, having conversations with them is are, are super helpful. And then surrounding and surrounding myself around great folks in particular areas that I feel like I need the most help in, right? So mm-hmm. if it's if it's around team building or leadership, you know, finding someone that has a really good track record in building a successful business and is known as a great leader, Mm -hmm. finding an informal advisor to talk to occasionally, right? Or if it's around particulars around the business and it's sales or retail sales, finding someone that Mm -hmm. worked um, at at a company that led the sales team and they had success, right? And then just also having someone in your corner that isn't doesn't necessarily have to be business minded or have built a successful business, but can have the conversations with you about like, hey, before we get to talking about your business, how are you? How are you taking care of yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. that is super, super important. You can't take care of anyone else if you, if you don't take care of yourself, right? You can't be yeah. from, from an empty cup. Um, so surrounding yourself with, with folks like that is uh, incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, 
And then again, just bumps and bruises along the way um, kind of prepares you uh, to deal with the next bump and bruise. It gets a little, it doesn't get easier, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you can get through it. You can get through it. So we love hearing about your background and it was so helpful to see what backdrop really propelled you. And, and we, we, be, we heard the origin story. This came from you spending time in the barbershop, you opening up your own and really identifying this problem. Um, it wasn't this explicit exercise. It literally was something that you experienced firsthand and recognized. You, you sort of had this epiphany, like, this is something I can do. You talked about being a, a kitchen chemist and kind of getting to work and, and seeing what your first stab at these products just in home could look like. What do you do next? Yeah. Um, so what's next for me is uh, thinking about um, how I continue to build uh, a company and organization that not only externally um, is, you know, really aligns with our mission in terms of helping people to feel their best. Um, and, and so making sure that the company aligns with sort of my own personal aim in life um, and my own personal aim in life is to kind of get up out of bed excited about each new day and uh, mm-hmm. making sure that the work that I do has a positive impact on uh, my folks, my family, you know, my community yeah. um, and making sure that my personal why ties in with the business. And so that that's things like our social impact program, you know, investing in, you know, four pillars that affect uh, our customers and our community around like recidivism and job training and entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some so, some core pillars and investing in those areas as a business, um, continuing to have conversations with our customers around why it's important um, to take care of yourself both internally and externally, right? You can you can you should take care like uh, brushing your hair in the morning and using face care products and skincare and beard care products are all important, but if if you're not right within, um, then, you know, then that's, that's not enough. It's, it's just surface. So continuing yeah. to have those conversations. Um, and then also, you know, uh, internally with our employees, right. It's super important to me, um, that I have folks around the table, um, that come from places that I come from look like me, right. And making sure that our leadership team is, is inclusive and giving folks opportunity, right. Um, is, is also very important. Um, also, another thing that's very important as I think about sort of what what happens after Scotch Quarter is how I can kind of reach down um, and provide resources, um, not only advice, but also financial resources um, to entrepreneurs that are uh, much smarter than me, have much better ideas than me, right? Mm-hmm. So like reaching down and, and finding ways to lift other folks up. Um, and it all, that. again, ties back to my own personal life. Yeah, no, your why and just you being obedient to when it was off track has led you down this certain path, right? Even even the recognition of I'm not where I want to be, that even was actually the right step. That was a pivotal point and your obedience to that, you obeying that and saying, okay, I have a shot at doing something different. Here it is. All of that led to it. And I think I what I hope people hear from your story is how you know, the wrong turns could lead to right ones. And Absolutely. a lot of it is being honest with yourself because then you can have that awareness of the next opportunity that you might need to take in order to change the direction or shift the feeling, you know, find a way to bring the optimism um, versus just complaining or being complacent. 
And that, that's certainly something you did. You didn't sit in that feeling for that long. You were able to say, well, I, I can do something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, taking back to your story after making the at-home products, how do you go from kitchen chemist to on the shelves at Walmart and Target? That's what I want to know. I know the boss fam wants to know that. Give us, give us some key points, um, some key pieces that were critical to you being able to shift from there. I know that's a loaded question, but just give us, <laughs> it's a loaded question because there, there's some big and small things, right? But when yeah. you look back, you might say, man, that was so critical. This thing was critical to me being prepared. This thing was pivotal. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe um, it was a introduction. Maybe it was a, oh, I learned about this step of the process from somewhere. Now I knew the path I needed to go on. Talk to us about how you prepared you know, and going from that kitchen chemist to being, you know, a legitimate company able to be in mass distribution? Yeah, I think it really does start with being customer centric, um, if that makes any sense. Um, Really kind of lays it in on the customer, who they are, what their pain points are, um, how to best solve their pain points. Um, it's also having some foresight, right. Um, and, and being able to spot things before they become commercial, um, in a way. Um, and so being really customer centric and focused on the customer and finding new and different ways to solve the customer's problem in a different way, um, has been super important. I think to also focusing on a largely underserved, underrepresented, um, customer allowed us to um, allowed us to really focus on a on a on a it's not a small community uh, focus on um, a community that may be considered niche but is very large and mm-hmm. a lot of folks aren't interested or haven't been interested in the past um, now it's a little different um, <laughs> in, in serving in yeah. serving this particular customer yeah. and just doing it right and doing it with pride and and understanding that quality is super important and that, you know, he deserves uh, high quality products. He deserves clean products that are non-toxic, even if he's not really sure what, you know, what that the means. importance behind clean or non-toxic, <laughs> right. um, you know, but being very customer centric, I think has been super helpful in terms of us building the business, building products that people love, building, you know, products that have built a loyal customer base that then attracts the interest of folks like Target, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where uh, they are interested in bringing in this customer into their stores, right? Because maybe he hasn't necessarily been a huge Target shopper. And, you know, Scotch Porter is very connected to this particular customer um, and can bring them in store. And so um, it, 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 it helps to position the brand as uh, unique um, to the retailer. Um, and bringing them something new to their assortment, yeah. Um, right. So those are those are a couple of a uh, couple of things that I'd say we focused on very early as being customer centric um, mm-hmm. and focusing on an underrepresented um, underrepresented customer um, yeah. who we who we've always thought was super important. Um, so when you started, you you mentioned being um, building on dot com, so really having your own presence first and largely because that you were starting and you wanted to just get your stuff available. You weren't immediately in retail. What was that? What was that process? We understand it was some of these things you focused on that really magnetize others to you. 
Um, but in terms of sort of the day-to-day or the actionable stuff, you you got packaging together. I'm sure all of that looks different than it d- did at the beginning. Talk to us about the, the progression. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely progression. Um, again, when we first started out, I kind of did everything. Um, and then uh, and that meant customer service, that made, meant making products, that meant doing research for packaging, that meant uh, the language that we use to communicate, um, you know, mm-hmm. our, our products and the benefits, um, that meant to being involved in social media. It just meant doing everything. Um, and then as the, the business grew, you know, you kind of took what I call like a, a stair-step approach, right? Uh, so crawl, walk, run, uh, identifying what other areas we could possibly use additional help with and that mm-hmm. I could take a few things off my plate. And so then it was customer service, right? And so yeah. finding someone to help out with that. And then it was finding a batch maker, uh, right? And then it was finding a marketing person that can help with, um, you know, brand building and brand awareness initiatives and whatnot. So it's all been a, a, a stair-step approach along the way, small incremental steps that have added up um, throughout the years. Um, and just decisions on where the business and I could use the most help, uh, you know, uh, step after step. So it wasn't like bringing on a, a team of 10 people after like the first year of the of business. That would have been right. a disaster mm-hmm. um, because there was so much to learn um, along the way. Um, and so it's all been sort of a steer step approach. Packaging looked entirely different. We just bought stock bottles like mm-hmm. offline, and, like, slapped stickers and labels on them, right? And now we work. And isn't that okay, that. right? That's okay. And that's totally okay. And it's totally what you should what you should be doing if you are a bootstrapped uh, business. Um, and that's what we did. And we, you know, we built a profitable business over the next two years before we went off and uh, raised financing. Um, and yeah. we raised a couple of rounds of financing this far. And I think this is a this is something good we could learn too here. Um, I don't, I think financial literacy, we all know financial literacy is not the strongest point within the Black community. It's something we're all um, growing in our awareness, right? And getting more access to. So talk to us about what you had to do to really level up that part of business building, understanding, hey, I may need, one, you, kudos being able to build a profitable business within those first two years because of those decisions, right? Not looking like you're bigger than you are, really scaling the scaling the brand as your business actually is scaling and making those uh, smart choices help you to be profitable at that stage. Second piece is um, knowing when you need to then get help to grow, you know, to have that vision of the next phase and what type of help that might look like. This, I'll caveat, this varies what type of business, what you're trying to do, all this good stuff. But talk to us about what it looked like for you and, and your general thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so general thoughts in terms of um, sort of taking the stair-step approach and like building a approach, taking that same approach to funding, right? So you started yep. Bootstrap and then, you know, are you still, do you still own the company majority stake? Yeah. So we have, um, we have taken on a uh, seed round of investment. We've also raised a series A round of investment and mm-hmm. we're in the process on closing. Um, a Series B round of investment. So we are no longer bootstrapped um, and I am no longer the only stakeholder in the company. Uh-huh. Um, but we've made the decision to first take the initial round of fundraising when we reached what I call an inflection point mm-hmm. um, where, you know, there 
the opportunity to scale the business would mean that we would have to take, you know, financing to, to do that in the way that I wanted to scale the business. Right. Um, and that it, it, we could continue to build and we could probably continue to grow, you know, 20, 25% year over year, but that isn't the business that I wanted to build. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of having that, um, that reality check with yourself to really understand what kind of business you want to build and also talking to others to kind of understand what it means to take financing and what are the responsibilities mm -hmm. that come along with that because that is you know some folks think that as, as soon as you you know raise money it's the golden ticket and and that's not true it actually gets tougher right because these folks are expecting you're returns yeah you're on the hook and mm -hmm. they're expecting returns much faster than you would have might have imagined in the past, right? And so that requires some real diligence and real skill set in terms of growing the business. But we've reached a, we've reached an inflection point where um, we realized that we had an opportunity to scale the business, and then it was about finding the right partners um, and negotiating deal terms that left me in control. <laughs> I think that's important, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, and uh, I, I would say uh, that it is raising money and what happens after that isn't for the faint of heart. Um, and you have to uh, surround yourself with people that might have raised money in the past and can kind of guide you on yeah. what to expect after you take the money. Because <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it is it is difficult and you you will have some challenges in terms of expectations around growth and scale. Yeah, I think that's really helpful you laying it out for us. And I think Again, going back to the financial literacy point, it's you're not expected to have to know all of this. You know, you there are other experts that specialize in fund fundraising and specialize in, in helping to position your brand in a way that it is marketable and you can get what you need done. That's going to be custom for every business. Um, every, business owners have different goals for what they want to accomplish, whether it's scaling it for themselves, for their family, for an exit. Any of those types of things will influence what your funding experience looks like. So the, the main thing we want to impress here is around, it's going to be your personal journey. It's not for the faint of heart, whatever the journey is. And um, make sure you're educated on what goals you want around funding, what it's going to deliver on, and what that really means. As Calvin said, what funding really means and what that looks like, what's the responsibility. So all of yeah. that a professional can help you with. It's not something you have to come pre-programmed with, but certainly, if, especially if you're not pre-programmed, do the due diligence yeah. to find that person um, or team who can help you with that part of it. And and aligning yourself with the right partner because it is uh, it is like a marriage, right? Um, once you take money from someone, you are locked in for a while with them. Um, and so just making sure that your values align with your partner is super critical and talking to other folks, other entrepreneurs that they may have invested in, in the past that can give you incredible uh, advice. Because usually mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur to an entrepreneur is going to be honest about yes. the pitfalls of working with a particular investor or the good things and bad. Um, and so talking with someone that they, not someone, talk with a few people that they've right. invested in. Mm -hmm. um, and asking for references is super important to make sure that your values are aligned and that what you, um, what you think success is aligns with what they think success is. Because if that is not aligned in the very beginning, you're on two different paths and that can only end in disaster. So that's mm -hmm. like super critical. 
Yeah, no, good points there. So um, are there any other milestones that you really cherish um, along your business journey that you want to share with us? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, launching at Target um, was a was a huge milestone. And, you know, when when we launched there, kind of walking in the store with my mom and like kind of seeing your product on the shelf was like a very happy moment. And it was, yeah. a, it was a huge milestone. And it was like we sold all these seeds and, and look, our products are on the shelf. I'd say sort of the second um, milestone is just like, you know, years after building the business, having conversations with some folks that are still with the company and just talking about how much they've grown, um, you know, professionally uh, and how much they've learned along the way. Um, I would say is like another huge milestone because it's not just about building a successful business, but it's about building people. And I think I've always been proud about that. I'd also say like, I'd also say, you know, sort of other milestones um, that kind of is confirmation that you're on the right path is, you know, meeting folks for the first time who are like, they've heard of Scotch Porter and it, and you're, you know, while you're in your office and the team is hard at work in like promoting and getting the word out about Scotch Porter, sometimes you don't real, really realize how many folks you've touched and in the ways that you touch them, right? Um, and so I think that that has, that's also been a really good milestone, just hearing from the streets, right. The people, Mm -hmm. um, I'd also say, you know, launching, like having like commercials on TV with, with with Target, right. And like seeing yourself in a campaign or in a billboard, right. Is like a huge milestone. Like I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I was like a bad, I I won't curse, but I was like this (laughs) terrible kid from Brooklyn. And now like I'm on national TV, like right when the Emmys are going and here's this, this, this black guy. Right. Um, So I, I I would say that that is a milestone and it's, and it's a milestone in the sense that it's just important to, for for, for other black guys and black kids to be able to see representation and see someone that kind of looks like them and Mm -hmm. someone that didn't, um, go to college at Harvard or or Yale or one of those other places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that they can be a success and they too can do it. I think that that is what um, really intrigues me about that. Um, so those are a couple of, of milestones. Those are and then good ones. Continuing, to, <laughs> continuing yeah. to grow the brand and reach more people, right? Yeah. You have a lot to be proud of yourself. And, you know, this is seven years in, it wasn't instant, but you, you know, thankfully you can see the fruit of your labor and you're planting more seeds. Love that you shared that next frontier is really about engaging, connecting, giving back. I think that's such a strong way to ensure you continue to have the impact you're looking for. Yes, you're going to continue to make grooming awesome and and self-care pivotal, especially for men of color who, like you mentioned and noticed, it previously wasn't a group that anyone was creating for. Like, take the same products for women and maybe the guy steals it, but now they have something of their own or take a universal product like Dove and stick men on there as well. But this one is something for the culture. And now we have a couple more um, brands that are doing this too, but I think Scotch Potter continues to have its own unique space. And, and a lot of your background informs that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Are there any other, we, we actually went through a lot of great lessons and advice, but is there anything else that you always thought, like, this is something I would want to, if I can get in front of a group from my experience, I want to share this note, this tip, this advice, this thought, this affirmation, whatever it is, would love for you to share that here. If there's anything 
um, other than what we've covered that you'd like to share or something you'd like to reinforce? Yeah, I would, I would probably say, um, you know, as you begin any journey, especially entrepreneurship, to be kind to yourself, uh, you know, give yourself grace, understand that it is a journey and that you will absolutely uh, face bumps, bruises and scrapes um, along the way. But be kind to yourself. Um, and don't be so hard on yourself. We're, we're all very, very hard on ourselves and, um, you know, kind of measure ourselves up to other folks and, you know, folks that have, uh, you know, built uh, $100 million businesses in five years and have raised, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and you kind of measure yourself up, up to that, um, you know, to some of those same uh, folks. But your journey is your journey. Their journey was their journey. Um, and there's a lot that, um, isn't necessarily uncovered when you see those success stories, right? Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we've heard some terrible news of folks that have built really successful companies. Um, and, you know, they're just, just very, very unhappy. And you don't necessarily see that on the surface. Um, yeah. So just be mindful of that. And don't be so tough on yourself. It's, you know, it's not unless you are solving, um, you know, a major disease or a major problem. Like, listen, we we are not um, we are not uh, curing cancer here. If if we aren't doing that, be kind to yourself and just enjoy the journey. And uh, hopefully, you'll be able to look back on it one day and um, and realize that you built something really great that's been able to have impact on a lot of folks folks' lives. Um, so just yeah. enjoy it. Basically, Calvin is like the self care king. As we all have learned in this episode, he's helping us stay in touch with our feelings, become more aware, vulnerable, and it has led him to a great spot. And he's able to share much of those learnings in a way that really resonates with all of us. So Calvin, we have a question for you. What does it mean to you to be Black on Shelf with Scotch Porter? Yeah, it, it means to, to be Black on Shelf and to be successful on shelf. Mm. Um, I think is um, it comes with a lot of weight because, you know, there, there are some conversations that uh, that maybe in the past retailers have had about where black brands should sit or mm-hmm. um, the, sh- the sort of shelving that they, you know, how they should be placed and um, what sections and what those sections should look like. Um, and I will say, that building a uh, building a business that is really focused on mostly black men consumers with a price point that is more maybe considered more premium but is definitely accessible has allowed us to sit on and next to brands that that are just very different than Scotch Porter and we 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 built a business where we have some like interesting stats that are shared by the retailers in terms of how the Scotch Porter guests uh, measures up to to some of the other brands in that section in terms of even the general section, general um, general men's Pardon. brands in that section. Mm-hmm. So the Doves and what out of the world in terms of the customer spending more, the, the Scotch Porter guests spending more than some of those other general um, mass brands. It just says a lot to the retailer and it begins to shift what they think a Black-owned brand can be. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that allows opportunity and space for others to come along, you know, after Scotch Porter um, and, and get the shelf space that they deserve, uh, get the, you know, get the off-shelf displays and all the, mm-hmm. all, all the wonderful executions that 
uh, may have not been given to Black-owned brands in the past, there, there's some weight, right? It's it's about proving yourself, and I think that's what that's what's super important to me as I as I think about the brand and 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 how we execute on shelf is not just about our brand doing being successful, but it's also about kind of setting um, setting a pathway for other brands like Scotch Porter and others to come along and grab shelf space um, in the men's section, uh, in the women's section. Um, we're definitely deserving of it. We spend money <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. much more than our counterparts. And yeah. it's time that retailers and others recognize that um, and give us the, the space that we that we deserve, that we've earned. Totally agree. That's why it's all about Black on Shelf, right? You, you really spelled it out there. How can everyone follow you and Scotch Porter? Where? Yeah, so you can, yes, so you can follow Scotch Porter uh, in the digital world um, on Instagram at Scotch Porter, Twitter, Scotch Porter, uh, Facebook, same thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Calvin underscore Follis, Q-U-A-L-L-I-S. Don't, don't let Calvin hide in the background. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> follow him, jump in his DMs, tell him you love the products. Yes, 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 yes. You can find us at Target. Um, you can find us at Walmart. And you can find us at CVS and soon uh, other retailers. Look out. Look out for the other retailers. Yes. So yes. You, you can find effectively find Scotch Porter in major places, as you can tell. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We love everything you had to share and the style that you share it with, reminding us to give ourselves grace, encouraging us to find ourselves. Thank you so much for being generous with your, your time and your wisdom. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. For joining us on the Black on Shelf podcast, visit our website, blackonshelf.com, and subscribe to the show on platforms including Apple Podcast, Spotify, and YouTube so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media at Black on Shelf. If you are a founder or expert or want to recommend someone interested in being on the show, complete the Boss Podcast request form using the link in the show notes or on our website. If you love the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes. Finally, if you want more of all things Black on Shelf, join our Boss LinkedIn community to stay connected with other listeners, entrepreneurs, and experts. I want to grow the Boss Fam, and I'd love to stay connected with you. Thanks again for listening. All right, catch you next time.